Hi friends, it's Sarah May. And this show is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Ned. Ned is a maker of fine CBD products. They're known as one of the best CBD brands out there. And Ned believes the natural world holds the keys to human health. And it's kind of their mission to share that truth with others. So they have a lot of science and research on their website. I invite you to check it out and also check out their line of products. They make something called the Natural Cycle Collection. It is great for if you have really bad cramps or you you have irregularity with your period. It is actually proven to make you more regular. So if you're interested, I invite you to check out helloned.com slash helpmebeme or enter helpmebeme at checkout for 15% off your first order and free shipping. Thanks. It's Sarah May, and this is an episode, um, it's called Oversharing in Relationships. And this was actually going to be an audience Q&A episode, but I found I had a lot to say about it, so I extended it into a full-length episode. So there are kind of two and a half questions answered in this episode, meaning I got two requests, and they came from slightly different directions. Um... And then a third one that had some overlap. So I combined them into one answer. So hopefully it still addresses all of you. So one question was about tips for if you overshare when you get nervous, like on a second date, when you start to feel vulnerable and exposed. So maybe you share stuff as a reaction to feeling anxious. Another question I got was about why a... um, why the person that they fall into a habit of oversharing specifically on topics um, that are trauma-based, like as a way to force intimacy, as in a date situation or a new friend situation. And then the other request was about how do you know if you're actually connected to someone or if you're just falling for the feeling of being seen and close via oversharing with them. So before I go into this episode, I wanted to invite all of you to just take mental notes of your go-to habits around forming new relationships. Like, what is your leaning? Are you someone that trusts too quickly and goes all in, like discloses all right off the bat? Um, You know, for example, on a first date, like, are you somebody that tells someone your darkest, deepest secrets before they have earned that privilege? Or are you someone who makes it all about the other person like and never reveals how you really feel about certain things or maybe you don't tell people you know the deepest darkest secrets you have because I think it's important to notate your baggage or the issues and voids that you fall victim to um, just to be be aware of it so you can be conscious of it you know just so you can choose it because I think a lot of the time we have habits that we don't even realize create our relationships or dictate the course of our relationships because we're just on autopilot all the time or we've always been this way so we just don't think to change it or we don't analyze whether or not it's working for us or if it benefits us. Um, I used to be a total oversharer and it really hurt my life trajectory in terms of the types of friendships and relationships I was building Um, and also the way I just navigated in life. Like I would say it hurt my career path because it was um, it was unconscious for the most part. It wasn't something I deliberately chose. It was kind of like 
another facet of my ident- my identity like took the stage and it made me neglect large parts of who I was. Um, and that part leading the forming of new relationships means that that is the common denominator in your new relationships. So for me, that meant like I was forming relationships with other people who were oversharers and and or who were attracted to people who had that kind of tendency. And I'm not saying all oversharers have damage, but I would say that is a very common tendency for people with boundary issues. Oversharing is just like it means you have lower standards um, than healthy, self-loving people with very good boundaries because um, I think when you have compromised boundaries, you're letting everybody into your life. You're not filtering out the people who are dangerous for you. And whereas if you're a happy, emotionally healthy person, um, you you by nature have higher standards and higher sensitivities to people who are dangerous to you. Uh, you're you're better at protecting yourself, put it that way. All that said, there are some people out there, you might be one of them, who are emotionally healthy and they just happen to overshare and they have a bad habit of doing that. And if you like that about yourself, more power to you. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just talking if you find that that habit leaves you feeling exposed and compromised and you don't like that that happens to you, I, I would say this episode will address you as well because that can be just something that happens like a nervous habit, um, almost like a, a version of stuttering or, um, you know, losing your breath like before you give a speech. So with that, there are three parts in this episode, the what, the why, and the how, the tools. Part one, the what. When you overshare or talk too much and disclose your your things you don't want to say yet, you know, um, or things that are not appropriate to say yet. And maybe it's the the form itself doesn't, you know, make it appropriate for you to say what you're saying. Or maybe you're disclosing your biggest war stories, like your traumas, things that are the most extreme in your life. Um, And you're doing it to people you don't feel you know yet. And that might be something you don't realize you don't want to do until after the fact, until like much later. And then you realize, oh, I feel really exposed. I feel naked. I don't like that they have that. You know, I I gave them something. Now they have that. I don't like that that is out there. And maybe that's how you feel when you reveal anything personal about yourself because you don't feel safe or, or trust the response you got from the other person. Maybe that other person didn't react in a way that made you feel see, seen and supported and taken care of. Or, you know, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you overshare as a way to feel like you've connected to others and that's like the only way you can really um, click in. Like you crave others emoting for you and being riveted to you. But it almost sets up like a dynamic where you're like the emoter in all situations. You know, you're the one that has to tell the melodramatic story and cry or you're the one who has the damage or you're the one that always has drama, who consistently has to tell your stories. And the other person's always amused by you. Um, And that feels awkward and one dimensional. And at a certain point, you can feel like I'm always in this role. I don't want to always be in this role. I want to be more than this role. Um, And maybe you, at first, it's like a way to feel 
a solid connection. Like you, it, it helps you know where you are and know where you stand and it helps others be engaged by you. Um, and maybe you crave that shock value because it's the, you know, you're the, the most lively storyteller. But at the same time, you feel also reduced by this role. And there's like a touch of shame about it. Like it limits you to a single one-noted story. So two opposite types of experiences. That's the what. Part two, the why. Well, when we overshare, there are various motives, some more conscious than others. So just take a mental note. Am I using my overshares consciously? Or is this a habit I'm falling into without choosing it? When it comes to unconscious oversharing, usually that is due to what I would call like dissociation light. Like you're going into an autopilot mode where you kind of check out and you feel like you have no control over your body. Like almost like you're watching yourself like, oh, my shit. Okay, I'm saying this now. Uh, I'm just going to. All right. This came out, too. I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, And in these types of situations, it's really about understanding the conditions that make it impossible for you to remain in control and then become conscious in those conditions. So, for example, like if you're a person who drinks and overdrinks because they get nervous and then when you overdrink, you're oversharing, you have to alter the puzzle piece when you still have autonomy, like when you still have control, when you're still at the wheel of your body. So. For me, that would because I had that exact problem. Like I feel like I was always at happy hour, and it was always like, you know, the fifth drink in or something like that. I used to drink a lot at happy hour, Um, and then in order for me to alter that, where that story was going to go on a repeated basis, I had to alter the you know the first hour of that outing. So for me, that meant I was excusing myself from the table to go and deep breathe in the bathroom um, during like if it was a big group dinner. That was like a big triggering type of situation for me. I meant I was also faking phone calls a lot or I was writing myself notes on the phone and then reading those notes back to myself, like just repeating back to myself like my truest intentions. So I would like tune into this voice of sanity even in the situation I was in when all of these, you know, unconscious patterns would occur and doing whatever you can to come back to your body, you know, coming back to the real situation at hand. It can be that crude and silly. It can be that clunky, just untraining an unconscious habit. It's like, how early can you intervene in order to change what will come? Because we do have power. We just have to figure out the point in time when we have power. And usually what that means is like just reorienting yourself, sobering up and coming back into contact with your body and what you actually choose to do at the earliest stage possible. So when you're a person who loses control of your will and your physical person, like you split off and you're almost watching yourself do something, this also often ties to an old self-soothing habit. Like when things get intense, I leave my body. Or when things get intense, I watch myself take actions. That's the kind of experience it is. So if this is an old habit for you, it doesn't mean you can't untrain it by acting in a new pattern diligently. But it will mean you, you'll feel like you can't change it. It creates the illusion of powerlessness because you've done it so many times, even after you've decided not to do it. You know, you can you can wake up every day 
and say like, fuck, I'm never going to do that again. And then you do it again. And that creates the illusion of, oh, I, I can't change this. And that can feel overwhelming and frustrating and confusing, like you're doomed to this habit. But that is all an illusion based on basically not intervening at the right stage. You have to change all of enough factors so that you give yourself enough power to remember what it is you actually want to do. And there is a moment, there's like a tipping point moment when you still have choice, when you're still like enough of yourself before this other habit takes over. And you just have to get, you know, backtrack a tiny bit more each time to figure out when that is. And that might mean you're not going out, (laughs) you know, while you're working on yourself, while you're figuring this out, while you're getting to the roots of this. And that doesn't mean it's forever. It just might mean like, you know, for a month or two, maybe I can't be in this situation because I've just got to figure out what's going on inside. I've got to figure out like what's happening inside my body and how I can help myself change this habit. Um, And that exploration is worth doing and it's not, not to be afraid of it, you know. I feel like a lot of us get so freaked out by asking these questions because we think like we're going to lose the rights to be ourselves or we're going to lose our freedom or it means like, you know, everything about my life has to be less fun or I won't be able to be myself anymore. What if I won't be able to drink anymore? It's, it's like we get too freaked out to even look, but it's, it's not what you think it is. Whatever your brain is saying from a fear position from this place of judgment is not accurate to the process you will go through and how you will change your approach to your own life. Put it that way. So just get in there with your hands a little bit and dig around. See like, huh, what's happening to me? What what are the conditions? What are the things that set up this situation? What are all the factors? Um, and how can I be more involved with that process from a conscious, mature place? Like how can I intervene on myself in these in these external ways? Um, giving yourself like little notes and stuff like that. <clears throat> I digress. Anyway, when it comes to conscious oversharing, like if you are a person who uses oversharing as like a, a social tool or a mechanism to feel connection or feel closeness, often when we have this habit, it's some part of us that unconsciously is resetting a position from childhood, like subconsciously. Like we are assuming a lower, lesser role. And it feels like we're the one that's controlling, um, but it's it also is us putting ourselves lower. It's because we have to, we feel like we have to put on a show for other people to like us. Like we have to entertain, we have to keep the energy flowing. That we cannot sit there in silence for people will decide they don't like us. It's like a a version of protecting ourselves from um, pain, but it doesn't work in the way we want it to. Often, because it's a tool we grew up using, we keep using it. It's almost like when we have, you know, a really shitty can opener. (laughs) Like you keep using it because it's not broken, but you feel like you don't have to buy a new one, but it really doesn't work well and it's also rusted. It's like, but just fucking get a new can opener. (laughs) It's like what ends up happening is you feel bad about yourself and you always end up in this lesser role and never comfortable. And it just maintains that maintains that discomfort or that like you know 
that dynamic where you're the crazy one or you're the one that's living through your damage. And it's also hurtful because often people, we give that information to people who can't be trusted. And it's a person who doesn't give you the support you want in return. Um, or maybe you do get lots of attention from, from doing that. And, but then that's really, you know, powerful information for other people to have. And it can make you feel compromised in certain spheres. And it can make you feel really uncomfortable in your own skin. So a, a common response to oversharing is you get an instant form of engagement and interest from another person. You advance the conversation to areas that mimic um, the feeling of friendship or trust, and you get rapt attention. Like You get someone's focus and their interest. It's almost like being the life of the party. However, often with oversharing, we're oversharing negative things about ourselves, or we're only sharing like, you know, very small, just parts of who we are. And we're telling tales that garner reactions we've seen before. And usually it's shock, awe, a sense of surprise. Like we are are doing something deliberately to evoke uh, someone to, you know, be impressed by us or garner sympathy from somebody else. And that's a tactic um, usually learned growing up, but also can be perfected in some stage of adulthood. But the underlying belief operating us is I am not enough just as I am. People will leave unless I keep them entertained or I help them to feel better, um, you know, about liking me. Or if I help them to feel uh, like they're saviors somehow, you know. Also, just a heads up, if you are in a vulnerable state in your life and you're looking for someone to validate and see you and you're feeling less than, often this is something that predators will like they're super attracted to it. Like they can, they can see when you're projecting weakness out into the world, it's like it attracts the people who prey on those types of people. Like they see this desire in you and you're it's just like you're an easy target. They're like um you know, the people that will take advantage of people like you and manipulate you are listening for the types of things that you say when you are an oversharer of your shit and of like all that is damaged about you. And I'm not saying everybody <laughs> that overshares is oversharing damage, but um, for those of you who do do that, that attracts a certain type of person. So before I go into part three, the tools, I'm going to invite you to take note, just again, of whether or not you, what type of oversharing you do. Like what are the types of situations and does that, how does it leave you feeling after the fact? All right, which brings me to part three, the how, the tools. All right, the first tool is for dates or, you know, first friend dates. Um, I'm going to call it the first date rules of dirty laundry. So if you're going on a date, this is a time to bring your best and only your best because you are interviewing based on a resume that is all the things that are awesome and exciting about you. You are also there to witness, like take mental notes, watch the other person and judge like whether or not they're a quality human being, like and also where they are in their life. Are they looking for a relationship or not? But it is not the time to hand 
the person you're just meeting a pile of your dirty laundry or even a lightly soiled pair of pair of socks because when you're new to someone giving them information is asking them to do something with it and in the case of a new first date your only aim is to see if you like you know your gift wrap gift wrapped self and their gift wrapped self are compatible like you're showing your best to their best are you excited? Are you enchanted? Are you intrigued? Do you guys have chemistry? Like these are the answers to know um, based on the first date to get to the next step. It's a first impression and it should be shiny and positive. And by giving someone less than clean and folded respectful information, you are asking them to assume a role for you, you know, by handing them extra information. For example, by telling someone, I had a really traumatic childhood, you are telling them, hi, nice to meet you. I am looking for a caregiver. That's subtext. Even if it's not, that is not your intention at all, that, the act of saying that type of information implies it. Because there's no place to put that information yet for that other person. There's no place for them to, there's nothing for them to do with that yet because you have not built a relationship. There's no legacy of trust. So there's no respect in that move. So for yourself and your privacy or the other person who who is at this new stage with you, a stranger, that move is very um, confusing. It's not a kind thing to do. It's like handing them dirty laundry. Trust is something that must be built over time in stages, like wading into a hot tub. Like you reveal yourself as you grow closer. And you can only grow closer with time. And I would say there's a difference. Like, let's say you share that on the eighth date. If I share I had a really traumatic childhood on my eighth date, that communicates I trust you enough and like you enough to feel that you can handle this information in a way that is kind and mature. It says something very different. Um, I will also say, you know, there's exceptions to every rule and, and how you feel about the information you're delivering is a huge part of the actual communication. So there's nuance and exceptions to everything. These are just, you know, trying to help kind of general guidelines. So like, for example, if you were on your first date and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I directed a film and like, oh, it's kind of about myself. I had a really fucked up childhood. That is received in a totally different way <laughs> than like, um, you know, I hope you get what I mean. Anyway, going on. Next tool is called sensation tracking. So this is just for you to do if you are an oversharer. I want you to just start the process of noticing moment by moment what is happening in your body when you are in these situations. I also want you to notate the sensations that occur in reaction to a person um, that you don't know. Like the moment they walk in the door, note your gut reaction to them. Like what do you notice about... When you look at them, look at their physicality. Is it, you know, neutral, relaxed, removed, uh, attentive? Like when that person begins to speak, what do you feel? There should be some feeling of gratification and comfort and not a sense of need or chase of insecurity. Um, and so if you do get like an off feeling, if you do have like a a reaction that's like fear or a need to protect yourself like listen to that notice that 
I also want you to become aware of your sensations of like familiarity. Like recognize when someone seems familiar to you. And if you recognize things in them that you can relate to or feel close to, usually that's a sign that you have either a shared experience in your upbringing or somehow they are, they fulfill the inverse of your particular baggage. Like it's just something to take mental note of and be curious about in your own mind. Why? Because this evokes certain kinds of reactions in us. Like when we sense familiarity of a dynamic, it can almost be subconsciously like, um, I, I know you. I feel like I know you. Or you get me. We have the same language. And that can trick us into thinking we know someone instantly. And that, that sensation, while it, it's based on uh, a dynamic that is familiar in your life, it's the, the idea that you know them sooner than you know them is false. So resist that rationalization in your mind if you recognize that it is occurring. Because when you have a, like an instant rapport with someone, it's because they're, the dynamic you have with them is somewhat similar to a dynamic you've had with somebody else in your life. It does not mean you know what they're thinking, even though you think you do. It's, it's confusing. And you won't really realize that until about a year and a half into your relationship with them when they st- when reality starts to misalign with what should be happening, quote unquote, in your brain. So this tool is really just an assignment of awareness, like noticing what occurs, the play by play, like whatever they are, just make notes of the important observations. I would say like notate them in your phone. And I, that also gives you something to like a project, you know, to tether to that is outside of the immediate situation, which is always helpful if you are a person who loses consciousness and starts telling them everything about yourself. All right. Next tool is called emotional likeness test. So if you are one with one of those people where you start to feel like, wow, this is like such an easy rhythm. This is like this type of flow is like so, it feels so comfortable. I want you to ask yourself, like, are there people who this person uh, resembles in your family? Like what traits does this person have? And how could this relate to an older relationship in my life? And this might be a no-duh for you. Like a lot of people, you probably already know this, but like when you instantly attract to someone, there's usually a foundation in like a primary relationship, you know? Um, For example, like if you had a dad that was very distant and removed, you will be attracted to people much older than you who seem more mature than you. So just this is really just to recognize like what is it in me what are the dynamics that are possibly going to be at play in this relationship? All right. The next tool is called set your baking scale. I don't know if anyone has a baking scale out there, but you have to kind of set it to zero. Partly because sometimes you're weighing flour in a bowl. So you have to like put the bowl on the scale and then you set it to zero. Anywho, you're going to set your personal baking scale. And that is basically to realize now hold on to the information now that closeness and intimacy and connection is not something that is instant it grows steadily and slowly over time so just reset your mental value scale for 
friendship and closeness and trust to, you know, many months from now, six months from now, as a default setting, like that's your zero setting. If you get close too quickly, you are falling in love with the image you are projecting. It's not accurate yet. And it can feel really good and exciting and intoxicating. But that is the those feelings are coming from a different source than true trust and intimate long lasting friendship or love. It's, it's a different chemical process that is based on different things. So just reset your value scale based on, I'm going to just say roughly six months. <laughs> All right, the next tool is called grow a palette for saccharin. So it can feel really exciting, as I said, intoxicating if you if you meet somebody that is like wants to go all in immediately. But I want you to reset your just get to know the taste of saccharin. Reset your palate right now and know that if someone comes on really quickly, it's a red flag. Learn to identify that this is artificial and somewhat poisonous, like sweet and low. It's not good for you. It's, it's a warning sign. If someone instantly wants to be there for you, stay the night, tell you everything about themselves, it's a symptom of unhealthy boundaries. And I say that because if you think of it like an ecosystem, like in a, in a healthy ecosystem, when two, when everything is allowed in, when there's no filtration, you're also getting toxins. So some people that are not respectful of their bodies and their boundaries, who people who have a very low bar for intimacy, they also happen to welcome in people who are not safe, sane, kind, self-loving, respectful, um, balanced, etc., so I want you to think of yourself right now as in the process of growing your bar a little higher and high enough that you are self-respecting and self-protective. And as with all of these steps and measures, it's not about excluding people from your life or judging people wrongly. It's about having the choice to welcome them in once you really know them at the appropriate time and being conscious about that process. And not being driven or motivated by less than healthy intentions. So it doesn't mean that you can't welcome someone into your life, but it's important that you welcome them into your life when you know who they are. And um, that is also how you maintain like a healthy ecosystem in yourself. All right, the next tool is called More Whip, Please. Or, <laughs> very opposite type of name. Or What's a Conversation I Want to Keep Having? Um, so this is a reflection exercise for you to do before you are in the situation of forming a new relationship. I just want you to ask yourself, like, what are the types of identifiers or themes if like my life, you know, if, if my life has whipped cream on top of it, like, what do I want to make the majority of what I experience in my, you know, social self? Like, what are the topics? What are the parts of me that I want to bring out more of? Like, what's the whipped cream good stuff that I want to grow? Make it the exciting and the positive and the healthy. Because I will also tell you that the way you set up rhythms with other people, like habits are also the types of conversations you have with others, the way you feel together. And you tend to reset to a certain way of being regardless of if you choose it. 
you know? So if you're, let's say you're with a friend or a person and you are complaining about how difficult your life is and then the other person complains about how their life is so difficult and then you do that again the next time you see that person, you will notice that you end up doing this every time you talk to that person, even when everything in your life is positive because it's really hard not to. It becomes a chemical groove. So choose things to bond over that make you inspired and grow the positive parts of your life, like your strengths in your life, more of the whipped cream, because this is how you become directive about the inner world you create for yourself as well. You have to make sure it's reflected in your environment. And I say that even if you are going through some shit right now and you're working on yourself, that doesn't have to become all of you. It doesn't have to be your entire story. And it can be really attractive to succumb to that, to become all consumed by drama. But we all need lightness and love and fun in our lives at all points in our lives. And just because a relationship is built on fun doesn't mean it won't lead to like the depth and the emotional stuff and the hard stuff. But that stuff comes once you build a solid bond, like once you built a relationship and one that you both agree, you know, that this other person is a positive in my life. Like I like who this person chooses to be. You have to build that foundation first for in order to put the weight on top of it. And, uh, you know, there's that saying, like, we, we are the five people we hang out with the most often, like, truly surround yourself with the people you want to bring out more of in yourself, um, and bond based on the positives. And that is how your life becomes more positive as a ratio. So those are all my tools. And before I close, I wanted to thank my latest sponsors, Cameron. Thank you so much. And a huge donation from Richard. Thank you very, very much. Really appreciate that. And a new monthly sponsor, Gabriella. Thank you so much. Um, and a new yearly sponsor, the Rainbow House Development. Thank you very much for your donation. I want to thank all my monthly sponsors and also all of you on Patreon. I appreciate you guys so much. And to all of you who have left reviews, thank you. Love, love to read them. It means so much to me. Um, and if you have the means, anyone that has the means, I really appreciate do- appreciate donations. They help make the show come to be. So in closing, know that real love and quality relationships, for the most part, yes, there are exceptions to every rule, but for the most part, they grow steadily and slowly. So even if you have an instant attraction or connection to someone, that is not a good reason to tell them all of your most personal secrets. Why? Because those are not the most important things about you. And that can also be, um, you know, it can show you aren't, you don't covet yourself. It can show you don't value these soft, very squishy spots in yourself. And you have to make sure you're only letting in the good stuff, only letting in the good people. Those are gifts you give someone else. Like to show them yourself is to give them a gift and you have to make sure they are worthy of that gift first. And, you know, it can feel like at certain times in your life that the best relationships are formed based on, oh, they get me. They've gone through all the same stuff as me. But all of the people you will meet that will you'll bond with based on the best things about yourself, like your, all of your best traits, have more in common with you than you think. And the, it just, 
a lot of people don't lead with that. They don't lead with like the the ouchy parts because if you're a person who is emotionally healthy and thriving, you want more of the good stuff in your life. Being attached through shared experience of trauma can feel like a relief, like an attractor, because you feel seen and understood. However, it is short-lived and it keeps the trauma being the thread in your life. It can be, you know, a very powerful, intoxicating, but also superficial bond because it makes you feel lost in a story, you know? It makes you feel um, limited by a story. It can also make you feel lost in another person versus because the attraction in that is chemical and it's based on like staying sick and taking care of one another. And that type of bond is like addictive and it almost stops you from being able to see yourself and see all of yourself. Um, it, it's like a, it's like a chemical bond and it, it keeps you in kind of an imbalanced position like because you're living through your void in yourself and often those relationships are a caregiver victim relationship so in this way it keeps you stuck in baggage I say that like but you know there are exceptions to every rule so if you both are working on yourselves aggressively you can be a really helpful bond for one another but just wanted to call that out because relationships can direct your life like you know, the five people you surround yourself with are the ones that will make up who you are. Just be very deliberate about this. Like, yes, it's good to feel safe with people around you, but you would be amazed at who you will feel safe with and people who actually do have shared experience with you when you don't lead with the negative information, like when you don't lead with the gnarly shit. Because there are a lot of really cool, driven, emotionally healthy, intelligent people who have been through really gnarly terrible shit but that's just not what defines them and because of that you might not never you might never know it I would say that's one of the greatest lessons I've learned uh about people in my 20s I went through like when I was in the gnarliest part of therapy I had been misjudging all the normal happy people because I felt like they wouldn't get me and I couldn't trust them and that was not the case I didn't give them a chance because I was living through my scars as my identity. And I just want i want to leave you with that challenge. Like you too can build relationships based on your best aspirations, on what you want to be your defining traits. Even if that's not true for you just yet, um, you can still act as if. Because in building positive relationships with people who have like their shit going on, you you start with the glue. You build relationships based on the good stuff, the attractive, the celebration of qualities, of things that are healthy, not the deficits. And, you know, sharing of deficits comes, but they come when you have, you know, a way to weather that better. You know, you have the glue to fall back on. Every relationship is based on respect, like a mutually beneficial relationship of giving gifts equally. So just make sure you're always assuming the gift-giving position and not the opposite. Um, and I know I leaned heavily into <laughs> the oversharers that are resetting some stage from things you missed in childhood. But hopefully if you're the type who overshares nervously, you still got something out of this episode. And regardless, I hope this helps. And I send you my love. And don't forget to smile. Smile.